Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Jiggle Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Thursday evening, reflecting into this great topic of theology of the body. This fifth week, we will have the opportunity to continue our reflection into freedom. Uh, these past few weeks, we have been talking about freedom as it relates to love, how freedom exists and is ordered to love. We will expand our understanding of freedom uh, in light of truth. And as I do each and every Thursday, I have Ivan Moore with me, parishioner over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church and student over at Chico State. Ivan, it's great to have you with me another Thursday. Thank you for having me back. So, Ivan, freedom. We couldn't really say <laughs> freedom is the principle of principles. We use the word principle. And what do we mean to say? It's just off the top here. You know, the word principle in its origin, in its Latin origin, means uh, first, what is foundational, what is chief among all things. So when we talk about freedom as the principle and principles, it really is the foundation of understanding our Christian faith. So often we get questions about the Christian faith, about our Catholic faith, Ivan, and Lord knows there's a million and one questions out there, but it is amazing how often it comes back to freedom. So whether we're talking about theology of the body or we're talking about apologetics or we're talking about a deeper understanding of Christian truth, it often comes back to freedom. Huh? So what do we mean to say when we talk about freedom or, or even that phrase free will? Free will is the gift given to us by God that allows us to choose between good and evil. And it is this God-given ability that allows us to be the authors of our own choices, thus Ivan allowing us to determine our own destiny. So when we talk about freedom then, we are talking about this gift that has been given to us to choose between good and evil. And, and why would we talk about this great principle being ordered to level? Let's think about it for a second. In order for love to be authentic, in order for love to be what it is intended to be, it can never be forced. This has been a great theme in these first four or five weeks, Ivan. You can never impose love, right? Love must always freely be given. I get the question asked often, well, why is there evil in the world? You know, I don't understand. Why would God allow evil in the world? Well, God allows evil in the world because, because of love. Well, what do you mean when you say that? That doesn't make any sense. That's like an oxymoron. No, because love demands free will. And once we have free will, then ultimately there's going to be that choice between uh, right and wrong, good and evil. And so it is because of love that there is actually evil because love demands the choice because love can never be imposed. It must always be freely given. And you know, God could have easily made us into robots. Yeah, that's right. Robots who will always obey the law, who will do everything according to his will. 
But he yet, no, he created us as human beings with free wills, freedom of choice, to do our own things. And John Paul II says that freedom exists for the sake of love, as you said. If we didn't have this choice, could we really say that we love God mm-hmm. if he never gave us that choice? Mm-hmm. And we know that the answer will be no. This freedom was given to us for the sake of love, so that we can love God. Mm-hmm. And you know, Ivan, I just put it in the context of uh, being a father, okay? As a father, there'd be no joy in just winding up my children, as you use the word robots, as toys, and just having them robotically do as I want them to do. But for them to freely choose to respond to what I ask them to do is life-giving. For them to love for the sake of love for me, for my wife, and for my whole family is life-giving. It's very difficult for some of us to understand this, maybe. But when you take a step back and think more critically about it, you really do begin to see what we are talking about here, right? That relationship between love and freedom. And ultimately, because one necessitates the other, love to freedom, it opens itself up to one's choice and how that choice might lead to an evil, choosing a wrong, an objective moral wrong. Uh, There are very few people out there, Ivan, who would debate that evil does not exist when you really start talking to them about it. And when you have that conversation with them, then they can begin to appreciate uh, the why behind free will. And ultimately, it is then our challenge and call to catechize on the importance of it as it relates to faith. And so there it is, Ivan. We have this tension before us to choose the right or the wrong, the good from the evil. And I like the analogy that you use regarding your family. You know, there is certainly a choice from your children to obey to what you said. But there is also a choice that you are making as a father to limit your freedom for the sake of the love that you have for your family. Because you could easily live a life as a, like a bachelor mm-hmm. and spend out every night with your friends. But you choose freely to be with your children at home, to be with your wife. So in this sense, you're limiting your freedom for the sake of love. Mm-hmm. Freedom exists for the sake of love, just as much as riches exist for the sake of happiness. We, don't, we say, what good are riches if they don't make you happy? But we don't say, what good is happiness if it doesn't make you rich? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, because riches exist for the sake of our happiness, so does freedom exist for the sake of love. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a, a, a good and fair analogy for sure, Ivan. You know, I, I, I had come across Matthew Kelly's reflection on freedom as it relates to love in his seven levels of intimacy. And I wanted to read it for our listeners, Ivan. And, and he says this in the seven levels of intimacy. But in order to love, you must be free. For to love is to give yourself to someone or something freely, completely, unconditionally, and without reservation. It is as if you could take the essence of your very self in your hands and give it to another person. Yet to give yourself to another person to an endeavor, or to God, you must first possess yourself. This possession of self is freedom. It is, a re- it is a prerequisite for love and is attained only through discipline. This is why so very few relationships thrive in our time. 
The very nature of love requires self-possession. Such an important line. I want to read that again. The very nature of love requires self-possession. He goes on to explain what this means. Without self-mastery, self-control, self-dominion, we are incapable of love. The problem is we don't want discipline. We want someone to tell us that we can be happy without discipline, but we cannot. The two are directly related. So essentially what he is saying is we need a deeper understanding, Ivan, of who we are before God. And I think we talked about this last week in this whole idea of self-donation. We need to be mindful of our weaknesses. We need to be mindful of our shortcomings so that we may grab hold of how we are to become more whole in Christ. And the more whole we are in Christ, the more free we are going to be in Christ to love. Our Lord says, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Mm -hmm. Ivan, we are never on this side of the beatific vision going to attain perfection. What is he saying? He is saying that conversion is 24-7. And to the degree that we enter into that understanding of self to the degree that we understand how we are called to be more whole in Christ is to to the degree that we are going to be free in Christ, is to the degree that we are going to understand what it means to be disciplined, what it means to renounce, what it means to have a self-mastery. Okay, this is what lies at the heart of it. And, you know, we were talking about this last week a little bit, Ivan, and someone had come up to me and said, you know, Joe, if I were to ask you one question, what lies at the heart of it all? What would you say? And I said, well, what do you mean? What lies at the heart of it all? (laughs) Well, the donation of flesh. My response was simply this. All of us, Ivan, are attached to something. Mm -hmm. I told this uh, young man, find that one thing that you are most attached to and die to it. And in dying to it, you will discover a new freedom, a freedom that is ordered, as we have already talked about it, to love. And that's the beauty of what we are talking about as it relates to this principle of principles, freedom. And you mentioned about knowing who we are. You know, we cannot truly talk about freedom unless we first know who we are and what we're called to do. How do we know who we are? By first knowing whose we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whose are we? We are God's. Yeah. In, the, in the book of Isaiah, it says, I have called you by name, you are mine. That's right. And so by understanding that we are God's children, and what is God? God is love, and that we are called to love, then we can understand how we can truly be free. We are free to the extent that we can love as God loves, because that's what we have been created for. Amen. Well put, Ivan, and... Really, that leads us to our next point. You know, as we talk about freedom exists for love and is ordered to love, well, love points towards truth. Love points to truth because Christ, as he is the incarnation of truth, is the incarnation of love. So love and truth was very important to just not John Paul II, but certainly Pope Benedict XVI, of course, in his great work, uh, Caritatis in Veritate, his his, uh, charity and truth. It was love and truth that we love, but we always do it in truth. And so when we talk about truth, then we talk about that principle of law. We talk about things that we can begin to discover. And so it is very important for us to now look at um, 
freedom as it points to, yes, love. We'll continue to have a dialogue with that, but also truth, Ivan, because if we don't reflect upon the importance of truth, then we'll never get to where we need, need to get to as it relates to theology of the body. Now, some people may argue, well, how dare you talk, talk, you talk about truth? Isn't that a little arrogant? Yeah. But isn't that what Jesus said? He, didn't, he wasn't a relativist. He didn't say, I, have a, I am one of the truth. But yeah. if you believe differently, that's okay. I don't want to hurt your feelings. No. He says, I am the way. And whoever doesn't come through me cannot reach the Father. So he wasn't a relativist. He believed in objective truth. Mm-hmm. And what we know as Christians is that there is a specific purpose for what we have been created for. There is a specific calling that we have that if we follow it, if we obey it, will lead to our true fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we are truth to this reality, then we will become free. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, he not only believes in what is objectively true, he is the incarnation and fulfillment of all truth itself. And that's the brilliance of Christianity. And that truth ultimately points back to love and relationship. Um, and so, as we talk about that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, not a way, a truth, and a life, but the way, the truth, and the life, we must go back into the gospel, because the gospel records, essentially, yes, the life of Christ, and at the same time, the revelation of the truth that we're after. And so, essentially, as we talk about this, what we are then made to see, Ivan, and the Catechism makes note of this, that the gospel is meant to change our hearts so that we no longer need the rules. Now, I can hear some saying, well, that's, that's what we're after, right? The, the relativists and the secularists, that's where we no longer need the rules. But let us be clear, to the degree that we experience this change of heart, we experience, as Paul would put it, St. Paul would put it, freedom from the law, not freedom to break the law, mm-hmm. but freedom to fulfill it. Uh, one Christopher West, who we have reflected upon from um, time to time, Ivan says this. Here is, here is an example of what freedom from the law looks like. I think this is a good example. Do you have any desire to murder your best friend? This may seem, Ivan, like a very odd question, okay? But it actually demonstrates the point. Assuming you do not, then you do not need the commandment, thou shalt not murder thy best friend, because you have no desire to break it. To this extent, you are what? Free from the law. Not to break it, okay, Ivan, but to fulfill it. In other words, you do not experience this law, thou shalt not murder thy best friend, as an imposition because your heart has already conformed to it. And that's what lies at the essence of John Paul II's vision, freedom from the law. I mean, the Old Testament law is good and just, but it does not of itself give the strength, the grace of the Spirit to fulfill it. St. Augustine once said, the law was given that grace might be sought. Grace was given that the law might be kept. Not again to break it, but to fulfill it. There's a particular story that comes to my mind. When I was in high school, I used to complain all the time why my mom would ask me not to drink. When I was already 18, and in Mexico you can drink at 18, but I will protest and I was very upset that I couldn't go out and drink as much as my friends were drinking. But when I became an adult and I came to the United States and I started getting closer to Christ, 
I have realized that that desire that I had to, to go and drink as much as my friends did, it's no longer there anymore. Mm. I've actually gone out of it, and I desired to have control over my body. Sure. And having control, you were free, right? <laughs> so John Paul II defines freedom as our capacity to love. But also, it defines it as the ability to desire and to choose the good. Yeah, and you certainly saw that good for what it was. And I think a lot of our listeners out there, uh, too, Ivan, have come to realize that once they gained a self-mastery of uh, their ways that led them away from, from God uh, and from truth, they discovered the good, the good that is uh, the truth of Jesus Christ. There is something else. Uh, John Paul II, he also says in very toddy splendor that human freedom belongs to us as creatures. It is a freedom which is given as a gift, one to be received like a seed and to be cultivated responsibly. And most importantly, he says, freedom then is rooted in the truth about man, and it is ultimately directed towards uh, communion. As we talk about freedom and truth, I think there's uh, a number of important points to be had. Uh, I want to go to Pope Benedict XVI as he's reflecting uh, how secular culture looks upon freedom and how we are made as Christians to look upon freedom. And this is what he has to say. He says, indeed, in the magnificent mathematics of creation, which today we can read in the human genetic code, we recognize the language of God. But unfortunately, not the whole language. The functional truth about man has been discovered, yes, but the truth about man himself, who he is, where he comes from, what he should do, what is right, what is wrong, this unfortunately, Benedict XVI says, cannot be read in the same way. Hand in hand with growing knowledge of functional truth, there seems to be an increasing blindness towards truth itself towards the question of our real identity and purpose. He goes on in one of my favorite excerpts from all of his writings. He says this, What is truth? Pilate asks. Pilate was not alone in dismissing this question as unanswerable and irrelevant for his purposes. Today, too, in political argument and in discussion of the foundations of law, it is generally experienced as disturbing. Yet... If man lives without truth, life passes him by. Ultimately, he surrenders the field to what, whoever is the stronger. Redemption in the fullest sense, we talked about that last week, right? Redemption in the fullest sense can only consist in the truth becoming recognizable. And how important is this? And it becomes recognizable when God becomes recognizable. He becomes recognizable in Jesus Christ. In Christ, God entered the world and set up the criterion of truth in the midst of history. Truth is outwardly powerless in the world, just as Christ is powerless by the world's standards. He has no legions. He is crucified. Yet, in his very powerlessness, he is powerful. Only thus, again and again, does truth become power. What is he talking about there? The great truth, Ivan, that is poverty itself, the emptying of self, if you will. We can sit here and we can fancy one another's with many proofs about the existence of God. 
but there is only one proof of the existence of God that has real lasting power. And that is when man gives his life totally and entirely to God at the point of death. This is why in the early church, one Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is effective seed. John Paul too talked about this seed, this Christian seed being planted inside of us. And this seed of truth is this paradoxical reality that less is more. The less we become, the more God increases. What was the what were the words of the Baptist? May he increase as I decrease. This is a wonderful prayer and a wonderful point. You know, Mother Teresa one time said, life is only worth living if it's lived for others. Mm. To the extent that we live and give our lives for the sake of others, we find fulfillment. Now, this is very different than what our world says because we often thought that the more that we get, the happier we will be. But it's interesting that what seems to be the most miserable way to live is actually what brings us the greatest joy. Mm -hmm. Why do we cry when we see a fireman lay down his life trying to rescue a person? Or when we see a superhero movie and the hero gives his life for his people? Mm -hmm. Because in deep in our hearts, we long to make a gift of ourselves to you. That's right. It's what we have been created for in the same way that Christ gave himself for his church. That's right. And we keep hoping there's another way to true freedom and true happiness. We keep hoping, and then we wonder why we're so empty. We know through Christ that there is one way, one true way to happiness, and that is by becoming saints. By becoming little Christs, we can become everything we've been created for. Amen. Put well, Ivan. I mean, when we begin to appreciate uh, what lies at the heart of it all, and, and really are we not talking about what lies at the heart of the great Christian vocation to die to self uh, and to do so uh, by giving ourselves totally entirely for other. I mean, everything that we are talking about right now brings us back to that overarching truth, Christian truth of being in God for other. We come to know God so as to make him known so that we might better understand how we can be uh, more human. Have we not already talked about the importance of seeing Christ as the full vision of man? Just not in, in the flesh or, or in, in our physical bodies, but also in the spirit and in our soul, right? Because what did Pope Benedict XVI just say? We are more than just our functionality. If we're going to really discover the meaning and purpose of our lives, what we need to understand is that it's more than just what we do, but who we are. Because we're not human doings, we're human beings. And when we discover mm. this truth, Ivan, we are well on our way to loving as we ought to love. Again, a love that is ordered to truth. It bears repeating, Ivan, man is only free to the extent that he understands law to be ordered to truth. Without any kind of rules to follow, Man's freedom would be sieged by chaos and be left with no more than clutching at empty space. This is what history has taught us. I mean, what piano player is free if he has not first learned the rubrics of how to play the piano? What mechanic is free to work on a car if he has not first learned the trade of being a mechanic? 
Only in learning their respective trades will they be authentically free to become the best piano player and mechanic possible. Essentially, freedom is caught up in the language of the truth that is inherent to the discipline that wishes to be practiced. In light of this, as it relates to our faith in Christianity, we have the task of forming our conscience in the truth of Christ, who reveals to us the dynamism of our true anthropology, body and soul. For this reason, we must form our conscience in the law and truth of Jesus Christ, a teaching program that is just not about rules to follow, but virtues to live by. And these virtues are what the aforementioned point is about, the virtues that help us fulfill the law. And in this way, our freedom in Christ emerges as an event of saintliness. John Paul II once said that history is not some progression of events towards what is better, but even an event of freedom. In our contemporary political, economical, and greater cultural climate, freedom is being abused at the highest levels. And if we do not view freedom for what it is, a gift from God to do what we ought, then history books will know this era as an event in history defined by the freedom of choice that is autonomous from the reality that there is a right choice. And does this have something to do with theology of the body? Everything. Remember that theology of the body is a study how the body is capable of making visible what is invisible. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden from eternity in God and thus to be a sign of it. In other words, somehow the body enables us to see spiritualities, even the eternal mystery hidden in God. If we are abusing the freedom that God has given us, treating people as things we will never see as God intends us to see. And what tell you the body does for us is it lays down to us that blueprint, that beautiful and amazing plan of God for love so that we can follow it and lead, and so that it will lead to this authentic love and this authentic freedom, mm-hmm. which makes us capable of loving with Christ-like love. It's so important to go back to some of our original um, points as it relates to theology, then body and love, because again, going back to that uh, sexual urge as we've talked about it, that raw material of love. Uh, why is that there? Is it, is it there just to serve our, our pleasure, uh, our sense appetite? No, it's there for a more authentic love to develop, a love that is made to be sacramental, a sign of Christ's love for his church. It, it is all a part of God's divine genius, Ivan, is it not? that even something that seems to be so outside of God's divine genius is actually intricately woven in his genius, that this urge we have points to a deeper Christian love. Some people may be shocked, and how dare you talk about sex and sexual urge and Christ at the same time? But we have to, because it's in Scripture, Revelation 19, this union of a man and a woman is an icon of the spiritual marriage that we will have with God. God ultimately wants to marry us. And obviously there's always, there's always something limited about analogies. Mm-hmm. Every analogy will fall short. 
So in, we're not implying that in any way God is sexual. But we do are saying that something of our sexuality reveals to us the love that God has for us. Just like in our sexuality, we make a gift to each other. So does God want to give, give himself to us and us give ourselves to him in heaven. Amen. Become one. Amen. Well put, Ivan. We'll go ahead and wrap up with that thought in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.